Dotnet Rocks, episode 1056, with guest Brian Randall. Recorded Monday, October 13th, 2014. And that's the way it goes. Indeed. What's up, my friend? Hey, you know, Thanksgiving in Canada. Of course, this show's coming out several weeks later where it's almost Thanksgiving in the U.S. So right. I oh. made goose and turkey. Yeah, so, what do you mean by a goose? You make a goose. I hear about goose cooking and, you know, this is the way, this is what we used to eat before chicken, right? Right. Well, the whole trick with a goose is that because it's a water bird, it's very fatty. Like, it's epically fatty. So, Wait. if you if you just try and roast it in an oven, you will probably set fire to your oven. Now, are you talking about what we call... Canada geese? Yes, but this is not. This is a domestic goose. It's the white goose. Oh, okay, right. So not not actually the 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 flyer. Not the V flying honkers. No, I, I presumably the domestic goose would too. This one clearly had serious wings and muscles on it. Probably could have flown, but okay. Um, the big challenge with them. And that's why I do them on the rotisserie. Is you cook them with a big drip pan under it. I got you know a couple of pints of fat out of that. But wow. The, but goose fat, dude. Goose fat is awesome. So is I hear of duck fat fries you yes. know that's your, so or, goose fat go- duck fat pretty much the same thing except the goose produce a lot more fat than a duck wow isn't that funny yeah so i made roast potatoes with the goose fat which everybody loved and uh, we ate goose i also made a turkey because the downside is a 10 pound goose is nowhere near as much meat as a 10 pound turkey because it's all fat pretty well much. it's fat and it's also structurally stronger because it really is a flying bird so the the, I, the bones are noticeably heavier the carcass huh. is noticeably heavier isn't that interesting but it tastes good huh really tasty and you know they, they tend to be organic because they don't they just don't sell as many of them they're more expensive too hmm. but uh, you're just like buying a heritage turkey a goose is a is a pretty interesting animal so i had a fine time was had by all cooked in about two and a half hours very good yeah. All right, well, I got some uh, Better Know Framework for y'all. Play that funky music. Yeah, speaking of funky music, I got two things for you today. First of all, if you go to my YouTube channel, which is at tinyurl.com slash YouTube, no apostrophe, of course, uh, that's my YouTube channel, or just, you know, users slash Carl Franklin right. on YouTube. Uh, Jay and I... Uh, got the boys in the band together, well, a couple of new boys, and uh, got uh, some Steely Dan cranked out the other day. You do love your Steely Dan, yeah, my friend. you know, I, I, I'm i a huge fan of Steely Dan. I try not to, you know, make our music sound like that, but you right. just can't help it. I mean, uh, when somebody says, well, it sounds like Steely Dan, I say, yeah, what song? And they say, I don't know. Never heard that one before. It doesn't <laughs> sound like a Steely Dan song, you know? It's not like... Uh, we just have the same studio sensibilities, and right. You know, there the, are worse things in this world than being compared to. I would argue some of the, one of the best bands ever. Yeah, I mean they're they're sort of a musician's band. Yeah, for lack of doubt. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, we did Green Earrings and the Caves of Altamira. Both of those are on the Royal Scam, which came out in 1976. And we've always wanted to play them with a band with horns and stuff. And uh, we got some new horn players just for this one rehearsal, and uh, we'll see if uh, they want to play some more with us, but check it nice. out. Nice. Yeah, check it out. That's All right, cool, so dude. that's actually not my Better Know framework. I just oh, wanted okay. Because you said funky music. <laughs> <laughs> Green Earrings is some funky music, let me tell you. Uh, so I'm, I'm pointing out the Visual Studio blog today. You know, uh, this is something that we've 
pointed to particular posts on the Visual Studio blog, but yep. Microsoft has a great blog where they talk about new things that are coming out in Visual Studio, CTPs, all sorts of things. And if .NET Rocks listeners are not subscribed to this blog, shame on you. Yeah, you're missing out. <laughs> I'm channeling Yuval Lowy. Nice. I'm shocked. oh man yeah no seriously a lot of great stuff comes out of this blog and of course it's right from the source so go to tinyurl.com slash visual studio blog there you go easy to remember and uh, they just published as of this recording which is on the 13th of october uh, last week they published a new ctp which had typescript in it nice yeah so check it out good stuff good to know there you go Richard, who's talking to us, my friend? Grabbed a comment off of show 987, the one we did a while back with Vishwas Lele, when we were talking about cloud patterns, right. just patterns of development and so forth. And this comment was actually a little bit off topic for Vishwas's show, but very on topic for what we're doing today, because uh, uh, Sunil Ravapali said, I've been trying to persuade my organization to migrate to Azure. We started with cloud migration using TFS online at visualstudio.com. Uh-huh. It's great, except for the limited number of build minutes we get with our MSDN subscription. Mm-hmm. The next plan is to migrate our test sites to Azure. Our limiting factor seems to be the migration of the database. We have a huge database with lots of tables and data that doesn't seem to be an easy way to move it to Azure. Mm-hmm. Which surprises me. Of course, huge is a relative concept. Right. What do you mean when you mean huge? Because to me today, huge is petabytes. But even a terabyte's kind of a pain if you're going to actually transfer it uh, via data. But, you know, Azure does offer hard drive service. You can ship hard drives to Azure, and they will load them for you for a fee, of course. Mm-hmm. So there is, an, you know, a bunch of different ways. There's the Microsoft Sync framework. There's running regular scripts, just do file transfer. There's a SQL integration services that actually specifically sorts SQL, the SQL database in the cloud. And then, you know, if worse comes to worse, if you really think you're that big, you can ship hard drives. Okay. So there's lots of choices there, Sunil. But I'm excited to see that you're, you're moving to TFS Online because I think we're going to talk about that today. FedEx is always an option. FedEx is an option. <laughs> Sneakernet has power. The data density of FedEx is quite astonishing. It is quite astonishing, actually. <laughs> I is. was working with a company uh, after the uh, the tsunami in Japan, and we wanted to move a data center out of Tokyo, and they were starting a wire transfer, and we did the math, and I said, it's going to take a month for the yeah. amount of data we need to move. You know, you could go down to a Best Buy, buy a bunch of terabyte hard drives, load them, and ship them in less time. In fact, I could go buy them, fly to Japan, do the load, <laughs> fly down to Osaka, install it, and you still wouldn't be done. Yeah, right. So, yeah, you got to do the math on that. little cost-benefit analysis you would never hurt. Sunil, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Android, iOS, Windows Phone 708, and Windows 8. And uh, before we go any further, let's tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer, IT admin, and creative training online with thousands of technology and creative training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts and .NET Rocks alumnus. They even offer a 10-day free trial, giving you 200 minutes of access, with a wide range of training courses, including coverage of iOS, VMware, Android, networking, and pretty much anything you can think of on the Microsoft stack, including over 50 courses on Visual Studio and TFS. So try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. 
And that, of course, brings us to Brian Randall, an old friend of the show and friends of ours. He is also a partner with MCW Technologies, LLC. For more than 20 years, he's been building software solutions. He educates teams on Microsoft technologies via writing and training, both in-person and on-demand. He's also a consultant for companies small and large worldwide, including Fortune 100 companies like Microsoft. Brian's a passionate software craftsman who still enjoys coding as he helps teams to improve their processes from idea to shipping to production management and monitoring. In addition, he's become obsessed over the last few years with natural user interfaces and how to create compelling user experiences regardless of platform. And there's a lot more to his bio. You can read it all at .netrocks.com. Welcome, Brian. Hey, guys. Good to be back. Good to have you back. Good to be talking to you again, man. And, and a good Skype connection this time. Yes, we're going to be much better. I'm, I'm, I'm at home right now for the next couple hours, and uh, so we'll take advantage of that. Very for cool. Sure. Uh, Visual Studio Online is what we're talking about today. We haven't given Visual Studio Online a whole lot of coverage on the show. Um, I'm not sure why, but uh, tell us what you think the people's perceptions of Visual Studio Online are. Um, I think if they're if they're not aware of anything, they think it's uh, someone took TFS and put a bunch of VMs in the cloud. Um, that'd be far from the truth. Um, Microsoft sat down, you know, got pushing five six years ago, and said, "What would a cloud architected solution for software developers look like in the cloud?" And that's what they've built. Um, and I think probably the most compelling thing that they've done is they've accelerated their cadence to where they ship about every three weeks, um, skipping sometimes you know Christmas or some big thing. And they've really embraced Agile, and they've built a system that is geo-redundant and is meant for teams large and small. And with some of the latest updates, you'll be able to integrate with your company's Active Directory, so you can log in with just one ID. Um, and you've got just every core feature a team would want. And the best part is they give it away for five users with the core feature. So for f you and four of your friends, you can have theoretically unlimited version control, right? If you start storing BitTorrents up there, they're going to get you. But, you know, you got version control, which means, by the way, TF version control centralized, which people may know and love or hate. Yeah. But also now they support Git repos, full work item tracking. They give you 60 minutes of team build a month. And you can also run your own build server if you want. Um, and all of that's just up there ready to go. And then if you happen to have MSDN, oh, guess what? You can add six, seven, eight. Having an MSDN sub, sub that's pro or above gives you free access to Visual Studio Online. And then if you have Ultimate, you get access to their load testing service. They give you 15,000 virtual user minutes a month. So they're really trying to create a compelling solution up in the cloud. And when I first heard of Visual Studio Online, my first thought was, oh, this is like, you know, what my experience of Visual Studio is as an editor, right? But it's it's not that, right? It's all of the stuff, the, the back-end stuff that supports... Uh, cloud development is that a good assessment or what's the what what do i have wrong there well so yeah so this is where marketing is once again getting someone getting the the, the cart ahead of the horse um really it's tfs online let's be clear yeah right the core features that are there are that however there's a hint of where they're going in that as part of the launch last fall so i guess we're almost a year now at this point they introduced something that was codenamed Monaco, which is a rich developer editing experience in a browser. Huh. And you can find that today off of your menu in the old Windows Azure portal. So if you go to manage.windowsazure.com, 
log in with your account, there's a Visual Studio icon, and it does a number of things. But one of the things it will let you do is edit files, like website files, online. And you can even have them backed up to a Git repository. That could be a Git repository hosted up in GitHub or in Visual Studio Online. And so that's where what they're trying to do is they're trying to get this long-term vision that when you think Visual Studio, Mm. we want you to think everything related to development. And Visual Studio Online means everything related to it. Now, today, it's mostly TFS-type things, things Mm -hmm. you expect for the team. But they're tipping their hat to say that, you know, maybe in a year or two, you might be able to have a C-sharp, VB.net, F-sharp editing experience in a browser with maybe cloud-based compilation with something like Roslyn. There's all sorts of possibilities, and they're just hinting at it. The editor that's in Monaco originally showed up as part of SharePoint Online. Hmm. So if you go to build a SharePoint Online app solution, that editing experience is Monaco. And this is uh, something that Eric Gamma and his guys out of Switzerland have been working on for a long time. Now, you said uh, just the in the management uh, portal that you can click an icon somewhere. And I'm, I'm dying to try this. So can you tell me where that is again? Well, so if, let me log in to manage.windowsazure.com. Uh-huh. Now, and of course, I got to... Provide the username and password because, you know, right. got to be secure. So two seconds while I pop that in. Sure. Because I don't have an active running session. Yeah, so if I go to one of my accounts that's configured for this. Now, once again, you don't just follow up and say, it doesn't just give you a file new experience. You have to do some mm-hmm. connections between something that you want to edit and Visual Studio. So like I have my right. website, brianroll.com, yep. hosted up and connected to Azure because it's hosted on an Azure website. Yep which means I can go down the list and you'll see a bunch of things. So uh, between service bus and cache, you'll see Visual Studio Online. And oh, yeah, I see it. Right, and you can create a link and you can do some stuff. And then what happens is for like your websites, if I go to a website, you can go in there and look at your deployments. And one of the things that they'll have in the deployments tab for an Azure website uh, is that there's a little link for um, where you can come in here and look at your deployment history, and you can open it in Visual Studio if you want, um, as well as you can look at your resources. So the point is, you do some configuration. There. Yeah, okay. The original setup is optimized around you having a website up in Azure Websites yep. that could then be edited online, but backed with version control with, hmm. with Git, and then you can push out deployments and stuff. So w- once again, it's it's kind of a uh, a teaser in the sense that it's definitely not feature complete, and you're right. not going to say file new, give me a new website. Yeah. But once again, this is this this cloud thing. It's kind of turned out to be a big thing. It is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Wow, I'm going to spend some time with that and look into it. And I'm uh, sort of going back and forth on how good an idea it is. Like when you say first say Visual Studio Online, I think. Do I want, you know, do I no longer have to install Visual Studio? And part of me is like, yay, because installing Visual Studio is a pain. Mm. And then part of me is like, wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of live in that space. Yes. And and I think it's, first of all, you know, I'm speculating, right? I'm, this is no inside super secret knowledge that Brian has that's going to happen next week. What 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 I know to be good and true is that Microsoft keeps changing the game on the web and all the web guys out there, web guys and girls, all, all those wonderful monkeys out there that love to make websites and CSS and all the stuff that just, you know, at times makes my head hurt, JavaScript. 
the things I see that you can do in a browser these days, it seems to be unlimited, right? I mean, what the guys at Google do, what the guys at Microsoft, everybody is doing these crazy things. I mean, look at Office Online. Look at Excel in a browser, right? Yeah. So they have the capability, and they keep doing little things that seem to me that if I just add A to B to C, is going to make it happen. So we've got this Monaco editor. I've got Git-based repositories. I've got a place to host stuff. Mm. And now, what am I missing? Oh, a compiler. Oh, well, they, they created this thing called Rosalind that could be easily put up at an endpoint where you could feed it to your source files and have it output binaries. Right. So, you know, this is not, I'm not, this is not rocket science. It the math will eventually add up, right? Now, whether we like that, yeah. I don't know. I like having my local installed Visual Studio. Hey, hey, Brian, have you heard about web jobs? Do you know what this is? Uh, web jobs are, think like uh, Unix cron jobs, is ability to run um, something on a schedule. So you can go like, background let's say tasks. your background tasks, you're, you're writing stuff out to disk, et cetera. Yeah. So I, I, I looked at that and I thought, wow, that seems very worker role-ish. You know, what's... Uh, What's the difference here? A background task, I guess, is something specific for. Is it, uh, it yeah, looks you, like you an, a, a I don't know everything thing that goes on a, there. It looks like you can run scripts, so bash, PHP, PowerShell, Windows yep. Command, JS. I, I guess it's for scripting that runs in the background. That's interesting. They just seem to be coming out with so much new stuff here all the time. It's hard to keep up with it. Oh, absolutely, brother. It's uh, as, as I understood Azure Web Jobs, the big thing here was to avoid you, you know, if, if you want to run cron jobs, like those, those kinds of things, normally you'd end, end up having to own the VM and set up scheduled tasks, but we don't want to own VMs, right? Like you want to be able to work in uh, Azure websites, which is platform as a service. And we like that because now you don't have to update the OS and all that other crap, but you still want to run these custom jobs. So Web Jobs lets us do those custom jobs against stuff like like uh, websites. Yeah, okay. I get it now. Very cool. So, Brian, I, I guess you came here with stuff to talk about, and we just sort of jumped into uh, a little tangent here, but I'll let you get back on track. No, that's that's fine. I mean, it's it's all – I mean, effectively, and with the new portal, if you go to – yeah, so if you go to portal.azure.com with your Azure subscription, what you'll find is their new vision, and this new vision is going to bring – the Visual Studio Online, which is now at visualstudio.com, and the Azure portal into one place to, to manage both. Wow. So this is in preview. It's got a whole new design based upon what they call journeys, and they have these different things they call blades. Uh, it's definitely in preview, and it's evolving. But what you're finding is that there's times you need to go to, one of the, the, go to this new portal for stuff versus the old portal. So, um, right. yeah, it's I like it's, the look and feel of the new portal. Um, I've heard there are some usability issues. I don't know if you want to talk about that, but um, this well, is just I, what I, I hear. Find it, yeah, no, well, and I'll say it, and I've told them, they know. Um, like, for example, we, we've got a platform we built on top of Azure for managing VMs for training and uh, pre-sales. And so at times, I might have three, 400 VMs set up in my account. And right now, the user experience for going and managing those VMs just doesn't work. Yeah, uh, There's no filtering, there's no good sorting, there's a lot of things. But once again, they push updates up, it seems. There's times when I'm in a session, I'll say, hey, we've updated the portal. Please refresh. It's like, whoa, okay. Yeah. So talk about on-the-fly updates. Um, but it's, yes, it's still evolving. It's, it's, it's Preview is what they have on the banner up there. They're still working on their And they're looking, though, for that feedback. Now's your chance to totally shape the next generation 
um, environment. And they view this as their cloud-based DevOps. They're trying to provide a dashboard interface for all the stuff. And then when you want to automate, that's where PowerShell and things and DSC and things come in. Yeah. You know, it, at the fundamental level here, it's like, it seems to me Visual Studio Online is really addressing the fact that config installing, configuring, operating TFS is a pain in the ass. Exactly. And now the fact that you can, you know, I, I do the demo um, like I did one last week at VS Live, and I'm going this week to London to do a software architecture. I can set up a new account in about two minutes. Um, wow. And you can't set up a VM that fast in your organization, let alone get a real TFS environment set up correctly. Mm. Uh, you know, they're going to take care of backups. You just have to get user IDs. And then, yeah, it takes a little more time to set up Active Directory, but that's mostly because you have to work with your AD folks to hook it into your Azure account. But once someone's done that, then people just, you can just give them permission based upon their corporate login ID. Um, you know, foo at mydomain.com now has access to your, your TFS, your Visual Studio Online in the cloud. And you can do tons of stuff through the browser. It has a great experience. And that's the thing. I like to do the demo for my Mac, right? It's fire up Safari. And people just, it just blows people's minds that that's what you can do. Um, and with the Git-based repositories, that means <laughs> Xcode, that, that bastion of Apple's free love, haha, <laughs> sarcasm should be noted, <laughs> uh, that will not allow plugins, but they do Git. So guess what? You can use Store all your code for Xcode from Xcode, so that means iOS, uh, OS 10 development. Shove it up there. Oh, Xamarin, Xamarin talks Git. Oh, I can shove it there. Yeah. Oh, Eclipse talks Git. Right. So all of a sudden, you're, you're just, you're just, you're, your mind is blown that Microsoft has built this hub in the cloud that says, you know, if you're a software developer, and guess what? If you're just an IT pro, come use our environment, try it out. We'll give you five accounts for free, and if you, yeah, if you buy into our story and you like Visual Studio, we'll give you even more. Right. Um, yeah, and, and they're moving towards that software as a service model, right? They want that monthly revenue. They want you committed one way or another. And, you know, they're providing a really compelling thing that says, we'll take anybody. We're not going to be just limited to Windows developers. What was that tech that Microsoft bought? Martin Woodward was involved with. Was it Team Prize? Yeah. So Team Prize uh, was a small company that was actually spun off by the guys at SourceGear, Eric Sink and Company. Right. So this was a thing they started. And what, the, what Martin Woodward and the guys did was they built – a Java-based Team Explorer product. So they had their, it was an IDE, as well as they wrote a, a plugin for Eclipse, as well as a command line client. And they made it cross-platform, so Windows, OS X, Linux, as well as multiple flavors of Unix and stuff. And then what happened was Microsoft acquired that. Now, Microsoft dropped the IDE part, and mostly it had to do with the way they built it and some stuff, you know, all the cross, all the code that got in there. But they kept the ID, the IDE portion for Eclipse so that you could actually, it's a plugin and you go into Eclipse and it gives you a very similar experience to what you have at Visual Studio, which means you have the Team Explorer, you have the Source Control Explorer, you have the ability to look at work apps, you have the ability to do builds, and then they have Java-based builds so you can build with Ant and Maven out of TFS on-premises, right. and then what they did is they've kept it up that it also talks to Visual Studio Online. So Java developers have a first-class experience regardless of their OS when they're working with Team Foundation Server or Visual Studio Online. So, and I just like this idea that in the real world, in, in an, especially in an enterprise world, it isn't a one-platform world. It's getting less and less a one-platform world. So, this idea that it's not even a you have a Java world. team over here and a .NET team over here, and they got nothing to do with each other. It's just gone away. 
Exactly. Um, and, and, and that's what, if you look at Azure, Azure's the same way. You know, we look at Azure, look at what Visual Studio team is doing. They're saying, look, we're going to provide a first class Windows experience for Windows developers, people who write .NET or Windows C++. We're going to provide that. Absolutely. But guess what? Our platforms are going to be open and we're going to do our best to support them when we can. I mean, Team Price for years wanted to write a plugin for Xcode. Apple wouldn't let them. So when Apple finally switched over and said, not only do we support Subversion for version control, we support Git, all of a sudden things lit up. So you could be on a Mac, pure Mac. I'm not talking no Windows VMs. You can do all your stuff in OS X and store your source code, do your builds, um, excluding, of course, o- uh, OS X related builds because you have to have a Mac to build those on legally. Um, but all your core stuff, and if it's Java, you can even do Java builds because Microsoft supports Java on their build services. You get all that and without having a copy of Windows. I mean, who would have thought that our Microsoft, the Microsoft of the 90s, of the, even the 2000s, would be doing this? Yeah, it's, 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 it's a game changer. Yeah, now every time I hear someone talk about Microsoft being the hub of cross-platform communication, I'm like, pardon? Okay. Yep. I mean, but this is still, and that's why I sort of mentioned team prices. That used to be that they were the glue, but it, it feels like a bunch of the team press stuff is now part of this overall story. They just it's sort of blended in with everything. Exactly. What they did was they kept the plugin for Eclipse. They then took some of the manpower and, and like Martin Woodward, who was one of the core developers on the team price stuff. He is one of Microsoft's go-to guys with a couple other ones. And I will say gals because I don't know everyone who's involved. But there's a few Microsoft folks that are even contributing to the core Git source code. Microsoft's contributing code to Git, to lib to git which is a C library, as well as lib to git sharp which is a managed one for uh, C-sharp, you know, and, and uh, Windows develop, uh, managed developers. They've contributed back to the committee. They're part of the core team committee, right. as well as building Microsoft's product. And, you know, so that's what, by getting Team Prize, they got not only some code and this leg up in the space, but they also got talent that was with a mindset that said, hey, we could do more in the open source community and really be a better citizen, so to speak. Right. And so, yeah, it's turned out really well. And I, and I, again, the Java.net interplay stories, I don't think that big a deal as much as it is the iOS, Android, blackberry wind phone like however many phone devices your company wants to support if you're going to do this all native you still want all the source to live in one place mm-hmm. well you, you definitely want that and one thing microsoft gives that a lot of makes a lot of enterprises happy is you know gets an interesting animal right in fact you know get hurts at times but what you get with tfs or visual student online either one with the latest versions is a company can choose how they want to manage their assets. And TFS adds additional, what they call enterprise features. You know, they bring additional security on to get, like you can restrict who can do a pull request and you know certain things that happen. And so that makes co- companies comfortable because they already pay Microsoft a lot of money. They're like, okay, so you're making it more flexible to bring in these other environments. I like right. that. Right, I don't have to set up a completely separate server that's not managed by my IT. And while the average developer, the 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 real you know crazy people there hate Microsoft and all that stuff, it's like, well, you don't get it though. If you work in a corporate environment, the company's going to pay your salary. They want to feel good about their assets. They want to feel good that what you're doing is going to be protected and managed and backed up. And so there's a good balance here that says, hey, you can have Git offline, do all these great things as a developer, but the company's feeling good because it's Microsoft's bringing it to the table. But you set up the my next question here, which is, is my company, you talk about their concern about assets. Am I comfortable with those assets being source code, being in the cloud? 
Well, and, and this is the thing, right? Um, I, I was having this conversation with my brother-in-law last night, um, which is funny. He was down and he's in real estate, but you know, he's, everybody's affected by technology and he, you know, the cloud, first of all, is this ephemeral thing to people, right? It's this, on one hand, it's these puffy things we see in the sky. And then some people, you know, the, the, the mindset when they, they quiz the public of what the cloud is, is always confused. But when you think about what Microsoft's providing, right? The certifications they have, the way they build their data centers, the number of people who have access to things, right? You know, dollar for dollar, I'm going to bet that Microsoft's data centers are far more physically protected from disaster, far more physically protected from bad people doing things Mm -hmm. than the average shop is, especially the small medium business. No question about it. I mean, you have to get to serious industries where they've, where they've had their, Rear ends handed to it, but let's see, Home Depot, um, the federal government. Like, this is going to list of people that have had their stuff broken into, right? Yeah, right. And, you know, so you're arguably getting, once again, it's just like when, when you buy a right yourself, right? The benefit you're getting by going with Microsoft, or let's just say another cloud provider, is that they're doing things at scale that the average company can't do. Yeah, okay? they've, they've got people watching it that you don't have. Well, and having just exactly. recently done a tour of a Microsoft data center, dude. 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 <laughs> Toyland. Hey, Richard, you know what time it is? Ah, uh, it must be that happy time again. You got it. Time to cook up a big pot of Visual Studio Maven Node.js Kanban web job Git Ant Cron Java OS 10 C Sharp TFS Cloud Portal Soup. Help me. Yeah. Help me. I've been assaulted by acronyms. <laughs> yeah. Did that in one breath. Yeah. Actually, it's time to give away a Component One Studio Enterprise collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before I tell you who won today, let me tell you about Component One's .NET controls for professional developers. Whether you're building the most modern touch-enabled apps or maintaining and updating legacy applications, Component One's flagship product, Studio Enterprise, helps to deliver rich, responsive desktop and web apps on time and under budget. Check them out at ComponentOne.com. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Israel Valdez. Ah, congratulations, Israel. Golf clap for you, sir. Got the Studio Enterprise from Component One. That's a big pile of awesome from them. And hey, if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We've got thousands of members all over the world, and uh, every show we give away great sponsor stuff, or we try to anyway. And uh, every December, coming right up here, we give mm-hmm. away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks family. That's right. It's a technology shopping spree paid for by .NET Rocks. Oh, and we've got quite the toy boy on the show today. Yes, we do. Brian, if you had five grand to spend on technology, but only five. <laughs> but only five. <laughs> what would you do? What would you buy? Uh, I would buy... Uh, definitely a nice 4K monitor. Samsung's got a nice one yeah. that you can do for under a grand. Yep. Um, I would look at one of those. Uh, I would definitely be geeking on some new kit. Now, I built my own machine later earlier in the year, but the time I spent was a trade-off. So if you've got lots of free time, building your own machine is something I highly recommend. There's some some therapy to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I had to go buy one this weekend. You build this weekend. See? I built one this weekend for the wife. There you go. Uh, and I found that really awesome because I got, um, you know, the current processors and all that stuff, but, you know, Thunderbolt, 
uh, 10 10 SATA ports. I mean, it's just it's just awesome. You know, 10 USB 3 ports. It's just there's so much coming out of this machine. It's it's crazy. It's it's water cooled. It's it's a beautiful thing. Um, so I would do that. I do some fast storage, um, and I would probably throw in some some newy stuff. Maybe a new Connect for Windows. Um, or the new Thalmic Labs uh, Mayo, you know, for doing you know gesture based stuff. So there's, wow. I would definitely do a few. Yes, of those I got a Mayo sitting right here. It's just yeah. good. Mine's mine is so you lucked out, Mister Being Canadian. Yours yeah. probably came a lot quicker. Mine had to cross the border. It is in route. Unfortunately, I will miss it. I will not get it today in time. We away. Uh, so I'll get it on Saturday when I get home. And I don't want to just sort of walk past your 4K screen. Because uh, I've been watching these things really closely, and I have a deep appreciation for Samsung displays, without a doubt. The thing I can't find on the Samsung site about this 4K screen is the refresh rate. Is it 30 hertz or is it 60? It's I hear it's 60. Now, Amazon's got it. It's about 600 US last time Which I looked. It's an unbelievable price. Uh, no, it's unbelievable because the reason is I picked up a Dell that is 30. So let's be clear. I did get a Dell because I got this coupon and everything. I got it for an embarrassing price, folks. I got it for like $300. It's a 28-inch 4K. And I just thought for that price, I'll just play with it. Right. Here's and the did you th- notice the, thir- the 30 hertz? No, I don't. That's the thing. No, don't be wrong. I did initially from the standpoint. But if I sit there and just write code on it or if I sit there and use it for giant Excel, Okay, I'm not Giant doing video. Excel. Do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, the world runs on Excel, baby. Giant no Excel with, with my giant hair. <laughs> <laughs> and a giant <laughs> cup of coffee. <laughs> we are giants that, here. <laughs> that is about it. Um, it. It's it's not that bad. Now, don't get me wrong. I think, honestly, day in and day out for a long time. But for the sessions I've done out for 300 bucks, it's a great way to play with 4K. And here's the thing. I've hooked up my Mac Mini to it, my MacBook Pro. I hooked up my Surface Pro 3 to it, as well as I have a little i5 Intel Nook with the latest uh, graphics from Intel. And it drives it. All those things drive it just fine. So, first of all, you don't need a huge video card to do it. But, yes, if you want to do 4K high frame rate video games, which I don't do, yeah, this yeah. monitor would suck. Let's be very clear. Now, he, and then here's the question. Display port or HDMI? Uh, I've done both, but almost everything I have is display port. So, I, I use the display port to, as right. by default. Mm-hmm. It has and I actually both. just found the tech specs for the Samsung, and it says display port 1.2 is 3840 by 2160, 60 hertz. Yep. Where HDMI, which is 1.4, is 3840 by 2160, 30 hertz. So, you right. need to use the display port signal if you want to get 60 right. hertz out of it. And every device I mentioned there, my Surface Pro 3, my Intel Nook, my Mac Mini, which because it does through Thunderbolt, and my MacBook Pro, which is the is the last Falls edition. It's not the latest one. All right. drive this monitor just fine, Daddy. Now, nice. So that means though, what am I going to do? Well, I've been thinking the missus needs an upgrade on her monitor. She yeah. won't care about it because she does her number one thing. She does. She does. She works with the kids and does accounting. So she's in Word and she's in um, the QuickIn and QuickBooks and that stuff. She will love the screen real estate and not care about the video frame rate. Right. Uh, and so I'll give that to her. I'll get the Samsung and I'll report back. But right now I'm thinking the space is lovely. The problem I have is Richard, you've seen what I have. I've got three thirties that I have to replace. So it's right. going to be a while before I moved a four Cal around, but I had to get one to try it. And uh, it's, it's, there's something to be said. And for those thirties were 25, 60, 1600 displays, right? Exactly. They're the Dells. There's the, the Dell, uh, WFP, not WPF, WFP, uh, 
3008s. And the biggest problem with them at this point is, I mean, I've had them for years. They're great. They've been wonderful. Knock on wood. They still continue to work great with no humming is that they're older. So they're, they generate a lot of heat, man. I can right now, if I, where's my fluke? I can tell you we're getting, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm getting 105 degrees Fahrenheit off the top. Wow. Um, <laughs> uh, Brian, have you checked out 4k video cameras at all? So I've looked at it, but see, I'm not, you know, this is one of those things where, you know, as a geek, I love the hardware, but it's like, just because I buy the expensive camera doesn't mean I'm going to be able to shoot anything that looks even reasonably Actually, cool. So yes, you can. Um, and if you <laughs> check out uh, either of those videos that I talked about at the top of the show, the the, uh-huh. the camera that I had on me was set to some bad setting and I didn't look at it. So it looks like crap. But the, and the other two cameras that I used on the band were uh were the same cameras just with manual settings but the one that uh when when it when it goes to the brass and you see all four horns that's a 4k camera and even though that you start with a 4k uh, thing and and then you know uh scale it down to 1080p it still looks better than a 1080p camera because you have a lot more information there to choose from so um i got i the the camera that i have is a sony fdr ax100 and Richard, maybe you go online and see what they're going for now, but it's a 4K Handycam, and it uses SD cards. I have a 64 gig SD card in there. It lasts a couple hours, and wow, what a difference this camera makes. It's amazing. That was the AX100? Yeah, FDR AX100. Yeah, not a lot of prices on this thing yet. I got it at Amazon, actually. There you go. What did What did it cost you? Well, I found one on Amazon right now for about two grand, and that's a kit, Richard, that includes a 64 gig memory card, a gadget bag, two batteries, a charger, filter kit, like three filters, uh, a card reader, full-size tripod, a mini tripod, and uh, screen protectors, and a cleaning kit. Two grand. Wow. That's awesome. You know what? And I hate to keep geeking out here, but I'm having such a good time with it. You know, my main dev machine is a 2560 by 1600 in the center with a pair of uh, um, 1600 by 1200s hung in portrait mode on each side of it. And I'm wondering if I could do the same with a 3840 by uh, 2160 in the center. But there are no 2160 by 1440s, except for the Surface 3, uh, which would be silly to hang as a monitor. But I could put 2560 by 1440s. If I get them the same height so they would all line up neatly... It might make an in- interesting rig and just up the resolution all around. Well, and I'll tell you, the Dell, while I would recommend this monitor as your, your primary, it rotates. So, it you know, I tried it. It's crazy when you look at that that height. You know, you're talking about Look at it in portrait mode? Yeah, that would be yeah. insane. <laughs> all all right. right. I do want to talk about uh, Studio Online some more because I, th- I think we're just underplaying. You know, we just say TFS and we ignore how much stuff that actually represents. Right. Mo- I, I'm stunned at the number of people who only use TFS for source control. Mm. Yeah, the, the, the work planning is significant in that, number one, Microsoft provides a fairly flexible implementation. Now, the big difference between the cloud and on-premises today is if you have TFS, one of the things you can do is you can customize your work item. So let's be clear. What is a work item? A work item is anything you want to track inside TFS or Visual Studio Online. Now, a bug is a work item. A task is a work item. 
And then what they do is they know that there's different ways of building software, right? Some people are like really agile, like Scrum, for example. So they have a Scrum template. And so when you think about a user's wish, a requirement, they call that a product backlog item. Um, and then they go the other extreme in that they have this template that's known as the formal template based upon some CMMI principles. And that template has a formal requirement. And the big difference between the two besides a name is that they gather different data Right, the the formal template is, is it requires much more data entry. It's very strict. Wants a lot of information. Whereas the Scrum asks for enough to get the job done. Right, and they have they have slightly different workflows. The big thing is on premises is companies like to customize, especially big companies. And granted, I discourage people from doing this initially. I say get to know TFS first, then customize. But what they'll add is sometimes like you like say you get a bug in the system. Well, often that comes from a help desk system, so they want to be able to link that back. Or they want to list a feature, link a feature request back to um, a system like uh, some kind of CRM system. So right. today, you can't customize the work item fields or overall layout. You can do a little bit of customization for um, the Kanban boards, but we're not fully there. That said, Microsoft in May announced some great things on the platform. First of all, a REST-based interface so that you can now get to it from anywhere, anytime. And they've introduce what are called service hooks and service hooks allow you to hook into other systems like Trello, um, like user voice. So someone goes to user voice, user voice gathers a certain set of data. It's the a copy is kept in user voice, but then you can link that so that that request gets pushed into your visual studio online account. And so what's happened is right there, they've got this, this great platform, this ALM platform for linking with other systems. So you choose the way you want to work. You've got all these things to track it, and you can go hardcore or you can go easy. And depending upon the level of subscription you have, whether it's free or whether you're, you have an MSDN sub, you get access to things to track things at a higher level, like features and epics. And you have the ability to think about um, data and how you visualize it. So they have chart visualizations that you can put on your homepage. Uh, they have charts and custom work item queries you can use. And so they really support a team tracking the work the way they want to track it. They have this notion of teams. And so fundamentally, yeah, Richard, you know, when you think about Visual Studio Online, yeah, it's a place to put your source code assets. But it's a whole thing for your team as the hub to how you're going to build your software better. Right. And once again, we have this notion of team build, right? The ability to get it built on a separate machine because the, you always say to a developer, well, it built on my machine. It worked on my machine. Yeah, but can <laughs> I du- can I duplicate that? Yeah, um, exact, yeah it's just crazy. Um, and one more thing, you can hook up your team builds to auto-deploy. Now, depending upon the software you're building, that might not be the best solution, right? But think about like my personal website. I can do an update in Visual Studio, check it in. If my build and my unit test pass, it pushes it up to Azure automatically. And then I have got five copies of an Azure I can always roll back to one of the previous versions if I screwed up something bad. But that's all automagic. Think mm. about doing that on-premises. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot more to it than just version control for sure. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think that the big the big piece for me is the is the managing the workflow. But and I'm with you that we're still not. I you know as much as we're crowing about Microsoft doing a good job being an integrator, you really should be able to use any of your other plugins, whether it's Trello or Slack or you know that that's what we want. Yep. Do this the way you want to do it with the tools you want to do it, and this place will be the hub. I just feel like, you know, I'm looking at this going, do these guys really have the architecture to do this, that we could just plug anything into it? Well, and, and I think that's the thing. They've taken their time, right? You know, Brian Harris showed the first preview. I think we'd have to go back to 2008 or 2009 in Redmond. Um, 
And so they've been very deliberate about it, as well as, by the way, maintaining the on-premises product. The on-premises product is not going away for at least the long foreseeable future. And yeah. Microsoft has come out saying they're committed to it, as well as TF version control and Git. They, they're going to support both. And so it's 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 been a long road. I've been doing this for a long time. I mean, I've had my team, our primary dev, and which is great for worldwide developers because they just need an internet connection. Yeah. They don't have to VPN into my server. God, I hate that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, they can connect up and, you know, we've been doing this for, God, we're pushing three years now since we got started on the dog food servers. So, yeah, they're, they're being very deliberate. It's, and that's why, for example, that's why you can't customize right now, right? They really want to come up with a platform for the next generation because the thing people forget, you know, TFS itself, the first version RTM'd and was available for shipping in March of 2006, Okay. Wow. Now yeah. it was pre-released before then, so we're already at eight years, eight solid years from that first release. Um, and so there's some design things, decisions they made, and how you do things. That in hindsight, we go back. Yeah, we'd like to see it different in this new world. Hence this new REST-based interface. Hence the service hooks. So um, I think they're they're doing a good job. Rich. Is it perfect? No, but guess what? We we constantly let them have it. Right. The MVPs, um, as well as obviously customers, but we tell them, and they're they're trying to be agile and respond. And that's why the three cadence is awesome. You know, there's things I've complained about. It's gotten fixed in six weeks. That is not the Microsoft of the past. Yeah. Hey, Brian, if there are listeners out there who are sort of on the fence or maybe not even in the know in terms of the differences and what they get between using, you know, GitHub and uh, TFS for uh, source control, and I know you're biased and stuff, but can you do your best to sort of um, give us a little analysis over what the difference is between these two things and when you would use one over the other? Sure. So let's let's step back. First of all, there is Git and there is GitHub. Right. So Git is an open source distributed version control system created originally by Linus Torvalds after he and these original, um, the people that are providing source control for Linux kernel had a falling out. You can find this on net. You can read the entries. Yep. I'm not going to go into the history. But fundamentally, he created it, and then he got some other geeks involved, and people said, this is good. We like this. Um, and so this is going off in the, in, the, in the other part of the world, and Microsoft's chugging along. They you know, shipped TFS 2008. People are happy. And TFS ships with a centralized version control product that was, you know, this, let's find what people like about SourceSafe and make it better and get rid of a lot of things they don't like, okay? Number yeah. one, let's make it trust trustworthy, right? Um, let's, let's, let's make it scale to large, let's let it have large files, let's give it real branching, all sorts of great things. Sure. Okay. The problem is, you know, Microsoft sometimes is, was behind the game, right? They weren't up there, right? Linus is doing this now, distributed version control. There's other people doing things, right? We have Mercurial and other products out there. And here Microsoft is pushing centralized. So some of the people that did Gerati are like, oh, look at Microsoft. They suck. On the other hand, people coming from SourceSafe are like, yes, thank you. Please take my SourceSafe off my hands and give me TFS. Right. Okay. So now we're fast forwarding a bit. And then what happens is Microsoft has a decision to make. Do we come up with our own distributed version control product? Right, and add it on top of TFS, or do we do something crazy, which is em- embrace this other thing? Mm. And so, what happened was Microsoft said, "We're going to do what GitHub does. Git is open source. GitHub provides hosted Git repositories that they will make if they're public. In other words, you're open sourcing your code. They'll give you unlimited free repositories. Yeah. However, if you want private repositories, you have to pay GitHub money." That's their model. 
just like Microsoft's model is a, is a revenue-based model. Now, GitHub made a name, though, because they said, hey, if your, your code's open source, party on. We will share with the world for you on, on your behalf. We will take care of all the servers for you. We'll make it available. Now, so you're trying to decide between Git. There's two questions there. Do you want to go with Visual Studio Online, or do you want to go with GitHub? If you choose to save Visual Studio Online, then you have a separate choice is which type of version control do I use for my team projects? And just to, so let's start with that. Just to follow yep. up on your difference between Git and GitHub, Git is the the sort of the system, or you could call it the protocol, or the system that implements that protocol. Well, it's actually both. Yeah. Git is a protocol and it is a product. And GitHub is a place where you can store your, uh, to use Git to store your projects. Exactly. Right? GitHub is a company. Yeah. Whereas Git is a product and a protocol. Yeah, got it. So, and what we have is we have Microsoft, a company that has a product called Visual Studio Online that lets you also have Git repositories. So, basically, Microsoft equals GitHub, and GitHub is, is a company as well as a, their product is called GitHub. Mm-hmm. Microsoft has a product called Visual Studio Online, since we're just dealing with the cloud here, and it supports GitHub repo- sorry Git repositories. Even I got me saying right. it. As well as TF repositories. So if we ignore TF repositories and say it's you know, one for one for Git, TFS is a little richer out of the box in things like work item tracking and management. Okay? Yeah. Git has some very lightweight stuff. And that's why people like it because it's lightweight, right? Exactly. I and mean, this is why everybody loves it because it's not, there isn't a lot of ceremony. It's just simple. Right. Then the flip side is companies that want to do it for real work do like some ceremony. They do like to be able to track things. GitHub has a lightweight tra- issue tracking system, and they will tell you they call it lightweight. And then they'll point out that they partner with a lot of different people if you want something richer. Yeah. Okay. So that said, they keep enhancing their offerings. For example, GitHub got in the game of saying, you can use our software that we've added on top of Git in your enterprise. They sell a product called GitHub Enterprise. So there's a lot of base level similarities. The difference is Git's number, GitHub's number one thing is that they provide Git, Git repo hosting mm. with some lightweight tracking and a rich integration platform with third parties. And you Microsoft would call it is, Git distributed, right? And TFS centralized or no? Is TFS well, as distributed as Git? So there's there's Git and there's TF TF version control. No, GitHub. If you want centralized version control, that's what Team Foundation Server version control has. If you want distributed, you can use Git. They can both be managed by either Team Foundation Server or Visual Studio Online. Very cool. That's exactly what I wanted to distill down. Yes. So the the point is, Microsoft gives you a choice. GitHub is focused on Git only, and they're more lightweight. And the, and the thing is, the biggest difference between the two today is that Visual Studio Online doesn't have a purely open model like GitHub because Microsoft has CodePlex. Right. Now, over time, we're going to see CodePlex disappear into Visual Studio Online because that's just the long-term plan when you look at how who's running it, what's going on with the show. Right. Um, so that's, that's probably the biggest difference. If you want to do something open source and you just want to make it available to the public, GitHub's where it's at. Even Microsoft puts their stuff on GitHub when it's open source and when it's available. On the other hand, GitHub, as far as I know, last time I checked, they did not, as of like last week, does not offer any free options if you want to keep your source private. Microsoft, on the other hand, will let you have unlimited repositories for private code for up to five of your friends, or four of you, four friends and yourself. Wow. Yeah, no, that is a wow. Um, and the thing is, you say, well, you know, I want Git. And they go, we have Git. 
and they go, okay, well, I want to track my work. We have that. Oh, I can even have builds? Yeah, you get 60 minutes free a month. So that's enough to run at least one build a day, right? Um, and it's like, oh, for free? Yeah. So yeah, and it, yeah, and I think about the comment that the uh, that uh, Sale made at the beginning of the show. It, that might not be enough, you know, depending on how you build your software. But then you just have to pay for additional build time. I, I guess that's the question: is how much does that cost? Five cents a minute. Hey, it's like a nine hundred number. <laughs> 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 Only one nine hundred TFS build, baby. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's funny. You get to so, talk, talk to somebody who can uh, read the read your fortune for you. Yeah, but you can also set up a, a VM in the cloud or even on premises and run your own build server um, and not incur those costs if you really wanted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, there's uh, so much to talk about here, and we only have a few minutes left. Is there anything that uh, that we should cover? Absolutely, should cover before we hang up. I think everybody, if you're a Microsoft developer, you owe it to yourself to get yourself a free Visual Studio Online account to at least as a playground to try things out. Um, if you're currently using TFS on-premises and you're a small, medium business, you need to really evaluate what you're doing with TFS and see is Visual Studio Online right for you from the standpoint of you now no longer have to worry about backups and recovery. Because I ask people, I go to every customer I go to, I go, how's your backups? Good. When was the last time you did a disaster recovery job? When is the last time you tried to restore your backup? Because backups aren't sexy. Mm. Restores, those are sexy. Mm. <laughs> and doing a full disaster recovery on an t- enterprise TFS box is a serious job. Um, I don't think the average IT shop is up, actually up to the task. Um, and so now if you put that out of your hands, Microsoft backs your data across three different regions, right? They have geo-redundant data, right? Um, that said, it's not perfect, right? You can't just take your TFS and put up in the cloud yet. There's some issues there, partly because of customization, but even if you didn't customize, they don't just have a button yet. And that's because they've been trying to get different features up there to make it a compelling place to be, uh, both for people starting from scratch as well as TFS customers. Um, so it's worth, at a minimum, just give it a play. It doesn't cost you anything. Try it out. And just remember, if you have MSDN, you get free usage above and beyond those five users with your MSDN sub. Very cool. Cool. Brian, thanks. It's been a great hour. Flew by. Hey, thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. It's always great to talk to you, and it does always go too fast. Absolutely. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band.